0: Hello, welcome to Bethel Baptist Church podcast. Today, November 21st, 2021, Pastor Ron Phillips shares with us a message from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, entitled, In the Fullness of Time. I really enjoyed being here with you last week and getting to know some of you, hopefully get to know some more of you this week as well. And I am looking forward to being back with you, the leadership has, has asked me to come back and... I've got a couple of dates where I'm out of town, so I can't be there those Sundays, but uh, we'll be back. I'll have three Christmas messages for you in December, and Lord willing, we'll probably go into the rest of Isaiah 9-6 starting in January, which is a good thing to do because it'll be the new year anyway, and those verses will fit in very well, as you will see. This morning, I'd like to ask you to uh, hang on to this phrase with me, if you would. Here's the phrase, in the fullness of time. Say that with me, would you? In the fullness of time. Okay, now hang on to that, okay? In the fullness of time, in the fullness of time, God created the heaven and the earth in six days, right? In the fullness of time, God destroyed all of life on the earth through a universal flood, except for Noah. And his family. In the fullness of time, God freed the Jews from slavery at the hands of the Egyptians. And in the process, He split the Red Sea in half and opened it up so that the Jews could walk on dry land to safety. In the fullness of time, God sent His only begotten Son to live here on earth in the form of a man. And to be arrested illegally, beaten, cursed at, mocked, spit upon, and ultimately crucified. But in the fullness of time, three days later, Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Hallelujah. In the fullness of time, Jesus is going to come back again. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And here's one more for you. In the fullness of time, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, in the fullness of time. Luke chapter 2, verse 1, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenes was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Je- Je- I'm sorry. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Caesar Augustus, a godless ruler who called himself God. That's what what Augustus means. It means God, the Supreme One. He called his son it together. And he said, men, we're losing control. We need more control of the people. And we need to tax them more. Does that sound like today? I'll let you decide that. Okay? Back to Caesar. In the fullness of time, the Roman government required every citizen to return to their homeland, or the equivalent of a state, whether they were from Iowa, or Nebraska, or Minnesota, or whatever. They had to return to their homeland. And they had to be registered. They had to be registered so they could pay more taxes. So the Roman government knew where they were and they could control them. And you know the account, I know, but let's, let's just think about it a little bit this morning. This meant that Joseph of Nazareth and his wife Mary had to make the pilgrimage uh, from Nazareth down to Bethlehem, because that's where, where Joseph was from, from Bethlehem. That was the city of David, King David, and Joseph had to go there as well. And as we all know, Mary gave birth to Jesus Christ, her firstborn, in some kind of a barn in Bethlehem, right? Right? And so think about it with me for just a minute. Thanks to the Roman government, the birth of Jesus Christ is well documented. Think about that. Caesar played right into God's hands by ordering that registration. I like what Solomon wrote in Proverbs 21, verse 1. And I need to be reminded of this verse many times when I get frustrated with what I see is going on in the world and in news and so forth. So I like to think of this verse a lot. Maybe you do too. Proverbs 21, verse 1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. I need to remember that. Maybe you do too. I'm not, I'm not sure. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ is recorded, of course, in Luke, as we just read, and in Matthew. But you know, it's in other passages as well. One of those other passages that I quoted to you a little while ago is Galatians 4, verse 4 and 5. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of Son, in the fullness of time." In the fullness of time, God controls time. You and I cannot control time, but God does. Look at those words for me, for me, just with me for just a minute. Fullness, the fullness of time. Fullness means totally satisfied, it means replete, crammed up. And the word time here that you read in Galatians means it's a designated date, it's a designated time, it's a fixed occasion. In the fullness of time, it didn't just happen by chance. God is never late. God is never early. God is always right on His time. He's the only one who knows when Jesus is going to come back for us. Jesus says that in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and 25. Only the Father knows. But He does know because He has a timetable. And just as sure as we're sitting in this auditorium, Jesus Christ is going to come again in the fullness of God's time. I need to remind myself of that too, because when I see all of the terrible things that are happening, I keep saying to myself, Lord, how much longer are you going to wait? He's not waiting. He has a time schedule. And it will happen just in accordance with what He knows to be the very best. Nothing is left to time. Nothing is left to chance, I should say. Nothing is left to chance. You know, if you read through the book of Malachi, it's a book of God's silence. Do you realize that God was silent to his people for 400 years until Christ came at Bethlehem? God did not reveal himself. He did not have any revelation with His people for 400 years. If you study the Old Testament, I love to study the Old Testament, especially the book of Isaiah and some of the others as well. The people turn their back on God. His people turn their back on Him. They went to worshiping idols. God warns them over and over and over. That's the theme, you know, of the Old Testament. When you obey God, He blesses And when you don't obey God, He rebukes. And that's basically what happened. And for 400 years, God was silent. And then, and then, Christ is born in Bethlehem. God sent forth His Son, who, by the way, has always existed. Remember that. He was not created at Bethlehem. He has always existed. Galatians 4.4 records the birth of Jesus Christ, as I've just read to you. But there's one more passage that I want to spend time with you this morning, it's in Isaiah 9.6, which also records the birth of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's a prophecy of the birth of Jesus Christ. Paul records the birth of Jesus Christ, but Isaiah foretells the birth of Jesus Christ 700 years Before Christ was born in Bethlehem. Maybe you know it. If you want to quote it along with me, that's fine. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's five sermons. I warned you right there. But you know, that first part of that magnificent verse lends itself to a wonderful three-point outline for us to follow along this morning if you want to do so in your bulletin. Point number one, for unto us a child is born. Point number two, unto us a son is given. Point number three the government shall be upon his shoulder. Let's look at that first point. For unto us a child is born. There's three key words in that first part of that verse. Us, child, and born. Who is the us that Isaiah is referring to here? Who is the us? Well, the answer to that is in many places in the Scriptures. One of them is in Galatians 4, verse 5. Why did Christ come in the the fullness of time? Why did God send forth His Son? To redeem them. There's the us, them. To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons, that we might become children of God, that we might be placed into His family. The us is you and me who know Jesus Christ as our own personal Savior to redeem us that we're under the law. We're all under the law. Now Christ came to fulfill the law, which He did. But He also describes for us the fact that we are people who need a Savior. I am a sinner saved by grace, just as you are if you know Christ as your own personal Savior. I have been adopted into God's family, and so have you, praise the Lord. You've been placed into God's family. Then we come to the word child, for to us a child. In other words, a boy offspring, a boy offspring. The genealogy of Mary is found in Luke. The genealogy of Joseph is found in Matthew. In Luke chapter 3, verse 38, the genealogy of Mary, it goes all the way back to Adam, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. And if you go to Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, the very first verse of Matthew, the genealogy of Joseph, it says, "...the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham." So the genealogy of both of these people, Mary and Joseph, goes all the way back to God Himself. And it's an offspring of God. It is a boy offering. And then we come to the word born. "...for unto us a child is born." We think of the word begot, to bear a child. Jesus Christ, uncreated, uncreated, I can't emphasize that to you enough because there's such a misunderstanding on that. Christ has always existed, He is God. Came as a baby, came as a baby boy, born of a virgin, named Mary, you know all that. But think about it with me, friend. The significance of that. Jesus Christ came sinless in birth, he lived sinless in living, and he died sinless as well. Sinless to give you and me, sinners, a chance to be saved. Sinners to give us salvation. In fact, Jesus' name comes from the name Joshua, which means what? Salvation. It literally means salvation. Jesus' name literally means salvation. For unto us a child is born. For unto us, a child is born. Look at the next phrase. Unto us, a son is given. Unto us, a son is given. Three key words again us, son, and given. The us is the same. We've already explained that. That's you and me who have known, who know Jesus Christ as our own personal Savior. Unto us, unto us, what? A son is given a son is given. Isaiah seven fourteen. Do you know that verse? That's a Christmas verse. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. King Ahaz was disobedient to God. He was relying on, on his own means to protect, to protect uh, Israel. And God is upset with him. And, uh, and, and angry with him. And so God says, I'm going to give you a sign. And the king says, I don't need a sign. He did need a sign. And the sign, the sign that God gave to Ahaz is found there in Isaiah 7, 14. I'll give you a sign. And here it is, a virgin shall conceive. You know, we hear that so many times we don't even think of how incredible that is. A virgin shall conceive. I wonder what the king thought when he heard that. How can a virgin conceive? Of course, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Behold, a virgin shall conceive, and here it is, bear a son. So here's the, fore, here's the foreknowledge of the Son coming, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And you know what that means. It means God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Micah recorded the fact that it would be a son. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2 But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose things forth have been of old and from everlasting. Don't you get tired of this neutral thing now? There's no gender nonsense. I am a man you're a woman, you're a woman, you're a man. I'm, th- this world is crazy right now. It's just, it's just unbelievable. God, You know, there are certain things we can't change. We can, I can't change the fact that I'm a man, and neither can you guys, and ladies, you can't change the fact that you're a lady. That's the way God intended it to be. It's just, it's just unbelievable. Anyway... Unto us a son is given. And I like the last part of, of what, uh, what Micah says. From whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. When you get a chance in your devotions, study Proverbs 8. Proverbs 8 is one of the most important chapters in the book of, of, of Proverbs. Because it talks about the fact that Jesus Christ has always existed. If you study that chapter, you will see how Christ was with God the Father even before the world was created. It goes on to say that he was with God the Father when he did create the earth. That's a great chapter, Proverbs 8. It's, it reminds me of that when I read these words of, of uh, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. It's God's son, God's son, and we, if we finish that phrase in Isaiah 9:6, for unto us a son is given, given. I quoted this with you last week, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Christ has been given to us. He's been offered to the world. John 3, 16, 17, and 18 are still in the Bible, praise the Lord. God is is long-suffering and patient, much more patient than I am, probably more patient than you are as well. By now, I would have thrown my hands up in disgust to see what people do with the Word of God and how they ignore God today. Praise the Lord, He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's our God. A son is offered. He is given. God gave His only begotten Son. You know, the giving of a son here denotes to us the beginning of a family the beginning of a family isn't family important family is so precious so important the beginning of a family 1st corinthians 15 the great chapter on the resurrection of christ in verse 20 it says jesus christ is risen from the dead and become <clears throat> excuse me and become the first fruits of them that slept The first fruits, the idea of a family, the first fruits. What's he talking, what's Paul talking about there? He's talking about the fact that in the family of God, the first fruit is Jesus Christ, because he is the one who was resurrected three days after he was executed on that cross. And he became the first fruits, if you and I should die, if God tarries and we die physically, one day the trumpet will sound. And when it sounds, you and I will be resurrected. If, if it happens while we're still on earth, we'll, we will call it the rapture because we'll still be alive. But in either event, we will then join Christ. He was the first fruits. We then follow after. Do you get the idea here? The idea of a family. He's the first son of the family of God. But we will follow, praise the Lord. We will follow. That is so important. God gave His only begotten Son. He is given. For unto us a Son is given. Jesus Christ was appointed and given and offered for you and for me. For unto us a Son is given. Let's go to the last part of, that, of this verse, this phrase. And that is that the government shall be upon his shoulder. The government shall be upon his shoulder. Some of you may not know what that means. So what does that mean? The government shall be upon his shoulder. It actually means two things. It's a double prophecy. One of the reasons why I love the book of Isaiah is because it's loaded with prophecies. A lot, of, in many cases, double prophecies, and this is one of them. This magnificent verse prophesies that Jesus Christ would come to Earth as a baby, as a baby boy, born in Bethlehem. We call that Christmas. But it also is prophesying that Jesus Christ will come back again to rule and to reign upon the throne of David as the real king. Hallelujah. Now, has that happened yet? No, it has not happened yet, but it will. And that's where the double prophecy is. It will happen. The government shall be up on his shoulder. Government, the ruling of the world, the ruling of the world. But I I want to stop here for a minute and I want to park here with you for a minute on that, on that phrase. The government shall be upon his shoulder. You know, you're, maybe you're like me, you're thinking of, okay, Jesus will right every wrong. He will be in control. And those things are all true. But how about right now? How about right now? Christ hasn't come back for us yet. He will, but he hasn't come yet. Maybe he'll come tomorrow. We don't know. But as of right now, he has not come, right? So the question that pops up in my mind, and I hope will pop up in your mind, is who is governing my life now? In other words, is the governing of my life right now upon Jesus' shoulder? The governing of your life right now, friend, should be upon the shoulder of Jesus Christ. Is he governing your life in regards to your children? Is he governing your life right now in regards to how you handle illness and sickness? Is he governing your life right now in terms of how you deal with crises and problems? Is he governing your life right now in regards to finances? And I could go on and on and on about every little aspect of life Jesus Christ should be governing our lives, friends, right now. Put your problems, your issues on his shoulder, the place of burden. That's that's what he's calling for right now. Don't don't face your, your, your world today, your problems today, your setbacks today alone. Don't do it. Don't have a pity party. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Turn to Christ. I can't handle that. Oh, wait a minute. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Has somebody cut that out of the Bible? Is that no longer in the Scriptures? I think it's still there in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And that's true. If, if I will put myself and my problems upon His shoulder. Is the governing of your life right now upon Jesus' shoulder. Think about it, friend. Is it? I hope it is. Make that change if you haven't done it already. And you will be amazed. You will be amazed. I have lost two, two incredible wives that the Lord gave to me. It's 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 sad and, and, and it was very painful to go through all that. But I know where they are. I know they're with Jesus, and I look forward to seeing them again. I don't know how people get along today without Christ, do you? How do people handle their problems today without Christ? That to me is the greatest mystery of all. Life is not easy, you're gonna have setbacks. As you get older, <laughs> all kinds of setbacks. How do you face those things without Christ? I don't know. I, I have not, never figured that out. I'm so thankful the Lord loves me. I'm so thankful He's in control of every little thing. Amen? I hope, that's, hope you're saying the same thing right now. Put the governing of your life upon His shoulder. Now let's look at the rest of this Isaiah 9, 6 passage by going to the next verse, verse 7. If you've got your Bible open, turn to Isaiah 9, verse 7. I've got the King James here. I like to preach out of the King James. I'm sure you figured that out by now. Of the increase of His government. Oh, I like that. It doesn't say decrease. It says the increase of His government, Jesus' government, and peace. There shall be no end. Oh, boy. All you, know, you realize that in history of mankind, there have been over at least 8,000 peace treaties? Over 8,000 peace treaties. Every one of them has been broken. <laughs> His peace there shall be, what does it say? No end. Upon the throne of David, upon the kingdom. That's where Christ belongs. He is the real king. To order it and to establish it with judgment... And with justice, you talk about justice, you will see justice then. When Jesus rules and reigns, there will be true justice. True justice. Even, let's see, justice from henceforth even forever. How long? Forever. And the seal of the Lord, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Hallelujah. Hallelujah forever. The government will be upon His shoulder. Just as Jesus Christ came at that first Christmas to Bethlehem, he will come back again to gather us up, the church. Here on earth? No. Up in the clouds. Up in the clouds. We call it the rapture. If we've already died, it'll be the resurrection. Either way, we're going to meet Jesus up in the clouds. The world is going to be dumbfounded. A bus driver driving a bus is suddenly going to disappear. A pilot flying a plane is, is suddenly going to be gone from the cockpit. The, the, the housewife working at home in the kitchen is going to suddenly be gone. The, uh, the banker is going to suddenly be gone. Anybody who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior is going to be raptured out of here. It's going to be unbelievable. I, I, aren't you anxious to see how the, the media explains that? that? That's going to really be funny. I can just imagine some of the goofy headlines they're going to come up with to try to justify and explain when all that happens. So he takes us away, and then, boy, is it bad. Seven years, seven years, the great tribulation will occur here on earth. If you think it's bad now, you ain't seen nothing. The Holy Spirit will be removed. There will be no restraining of evilness during the tribulation period. The last three and a half years of that tribulation period will be even worse, because the Antichrist will set himself up as king, and you name it, it's going to happen. And anyone who does not receive the mark of the beast will be hunted down and be sought to to be killed. And millions of Christians, millions of people who turn to Christ during that tribulation period who will not receive the mark of the beast are going to die for the cause of Christ. It'll be a terrible time. But, but, at the end of those seven years, Jesus Christ comes back down to earth. And who's going to be with him? Raise your hand. You and me. Because I just quoted to you earlier, so shall we ever be with the Lord. We will never be separated from Christ again when we meet him in those clouds. Hallelujah. Hallelujah will never be separated from Jesus Christ ever again. He will come back down to earth at the end of those seven years. And this time, he will come down to the earth. And there's going to be a battle in the valley of Megiddo called Armageddon. And the enemy will be destroyed. The enemy will be destroyed. And Jesus, the real king, the king is coming. I was listening to that song yesterday. I just love it. The king is coming. He will rule and reign, and you and I will be so happy. It will be an it'll be unbelievable time for us, wanted Christian. It will be an unbelievable time. Christ will rule and reign for those thousand years. Christ is coming to the earth again. The Bible teaches that over and over and over. Do you realize that for every verse that talks about Jesus coming to earth at Bethlehem, For every one of those verses talk about his his advent of coming to, to to uh, to Bethlehem. There are eight verses that deal with his coming again. Eight verses for every one. Christ is coming again, folks. That's why it's emphasized throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament as well as the New. Jesus is coming again. I was listening to that song yesterday, too. Christ is coming again his second come. Will you be ready? Will you be ready for that? I, I, I found this uh, illustration in one of my readings of uh, Pastor Tim LaHaye. You know, he wrote the uh, Left Behind series and all that stuff. I got to hear him preach. He was a really fine preacher. And he writes that when I was a boy, I, I took a tour of the Henry Ford factory in Dearborn, Michigan. I have to say I've done that too. I, I've been at, They call it the River Rouge plant and when I was there, they were making Mercuries and Fords, one after another. It was really interesting. He goes on to say, then we saw an electromagnetic crane, a big crane, move over a large railroad car filled with what seemed to be junk steel. The guy who was in charge of the crane was put on a switch, and all of a sudden all of the metal in that railroad car was attracted and, and pulled up to the crane, pulled up to the magnet. You got it? Picture that in your mind. And then he says, but something strange happened. Because after a moment or two, a lot of stuff fell down back into the railroad car. He couldn't figure that out. It looked like some of the metal didn't stay, it, it didn't stick to the magnet. Well, the tour went on, and he snuck away and climbed up into that railroad car. And he looked in to see all the metal that would be left behind, but it wasn't metal. It was two by fours and scrap. It was not metal. It wasn't the right stuff to be caught by the magnet. What's in your soul right now, dear friend? Is it the right stuff? Is it Jesus Christ? When Christ comes, are you going to be left behind? Are you going to be left behind? Like that stuff that fell into the railroad car? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no man cometh to the Father but by me. Don't pin your hopes on works, folks. Don't pin your, your hopes on baptism. Don't pin your hopes on anything else but Faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The child that was born and the son that was given. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much for your truth of your word. Lord, your word is everything. Your word is the one thing we can count on for sure. It's the truth, it's what saves. Lord, it's what matters. May we put our faith in You and in Your Word. I pray for anyone here today, Lord, who needs to trust in You as their Savior, that they would do so today. If I can be of help to anyone here, Lord, have them seek me out, Lord. I would be glad to spend time with them and show them how they can know Christ as their Savior. And if there's any Christian here who needs just to pray, to turn their governing of their life over to Christ, Lord, I pray that they would do so. Lord, I just thank You for it all in Jesus' name. Amen.